Hi guys and welcome back to the Calm cast. Today we have a little bit of a different episode because the cast member that is going to be presenting for us today that's going to sort of be on the pod for us today is the one and only me. I am alone today but there's a reason that I'm alone today. I have mentioned quite a few times throughout the podcast with with different guests, different cast members, if you will, about sort of some snippets about my past and my story and how I got here and what I had to overcome to get here. And I felt like sort of through certain things that I had experienced this week and things that I've just been experiencing in life in general, that it was important to share my story in sort of an unfettered manner and the best, is unfettered the right word? I don't even know what unfettered means. I don't know. Google it for me and then like, I don't know, comment or something. Just tell me if unfettered is the right word. Basically, sort of a raw and real story. And I always advocate for being honest and being real and being whole when you present yourself to others. But I wanted to really get into the nitty-gritty details and share my experience as a pansexual person who has experienced pretty severe mental illness um, as well as, you know, just some mild and moderate mental illnesses and challenges throughout my life. And this story, you know, my, my story and how I overcame that and how I got here, I wanted to make sure that I could present it in the best way possible. And the way that I found myself being able to do that most comfortably and without sort of holding anything back, is to do it by myself. So this isn't um, a permanent sort of format for the podcast. I'm going to have a new guest next week, but today I'm just here to share with you in the space of, you know, openness and honesty what I went through to get here, and hopefully you can get some advice, some, some learning, maybe some bullet points on, hey, you know, maybe this isn't the best way to to cope with this or maybe hey that's a good idea or something i hope you get something out of this but i don't know why i'm rambling so much because this story you know i mean it's it's personal and i'm sharing it on an open platform but i feel like stories that are personal and stories that are real are some of the stories that need to be heard especially from the lgbtq community we often hear you know there's so many voices out there but not a lot of them are us. Not a lot of them are the LGBTQ community. I mean, you get Elon Musk, he goes up on a TED Talk stage and, you know, he talks for an hour about how he became successful, you know, and I'm like, okay, but Elon, you're, you know, straight, white man, you know, you have everything going for you in that department. You hear a lot of motivational speakers talk, but, you know, they're usually got a f- 20, 30 years behind them. They're usually the overwhelming majority of them are men, the overwhelming majority are not LGBTQ, the overwhelming majority are white. So I felt like, you know, maybe this could inspire others to share their own stories and get their voices heard to sort of help equal out all of that noise with some of our own because, you know, the LGBTQ community is facing so much hurt and suffering right now. We always have. 
but you know it's it's definitely been more prevalent this year and last year and the year before that <laughs> 2020 was a whirlwind for everybody, but especially for the LGBTQ community, especially for the BIPOC community. And I feel like hopefully this episode can inspire others to sort of do the same, sort of even if it's just making a short video and posting it online, if it's writing a blog with us, if it's hopping on or, you know, getting on your voice memos app, telling your story in the comfort of your own room and submitting it and, you know, letting me give you a platform, I'd love to do that for you. So without further ado, I'm just gonna go ahead and start with how I came out because I feel like that's sort of where it all began, you know? I mean, when I was born, I didn't even know what the word gay was, right? Nobody does. You're an infant, you are a child, you have two brain cells, and you don't have neck bones. That's a Try Guys reference. I'm, I'm very curious if anybody actually got that. <laughs> When I, you know, I went through elementary school sort of feeling more of a tomboy, I guess you could say. I always, there's this funny story. I was in the fifth grade and all the boys were in trouble for bullying this other kid. And, you know, it was awful. And, you know, the, this kid did not deserve the bullying. Nobody deserves to be bullied. And the guys in my class were being rude and were being bullies. And the teacher wanted to sort of figure out who was heading or leading sort of the attack on this kid who was being bullied. So she knew that it wasn't any of the girls um, because the kid had come forward and said it was like a couple of the boys. So she knew it wasn't any of the girls in the room. And so she sent them all out. But me being known for not being friends with any of those girls, I was only ever friends with the boys. Um, I was, I was one of the boys. Like, no, I promise I'm not a pick me girl. Please God, no. But I just got along better with them. I've felt like I could blend in better with them. So I actually raised my hand. I was like, hey, teach, you know, <laughs> obviously I didn't say that, but I was like, hey, teach, you know, do you want me to go out with the girls? Like, what do you want me to do? Like, cause you know, and she goes, yeah, you can stay here with, with, you know, the rest of the boys in the class. And I was like, okay, fine. So I'm sitting there and, you know, we are interrogated for the next like 30 minutes or whatever. And they figured it out. And, you know, the kid got help and it ended good. I didn't provide any useful information, to be honest, except for like, yeah, I heard that he was being bullied, but I didn't know. Anyways, this is not my fifth grade memoir. Elementary school was not my blossoming into pansexuality. I didn't realize. I mean, I kind of sort of knew that I had a crush on a few girls, but I didn't really find that as weird. And then in middle school, I sort of realized like, oh, okay, this is... This is what, you know, being attractive to girls is, is what being attractive to all genders is, you know, that's pansexuality. And I was around, I think the sixth grade at that time where I really like found that term and understood it because I'm like, well, I'm not a lesbian, you know, like I listen to BTS and I have a crush on all of the members. So clearly I'm not a lesbian. And I even had a boyfriend at the time. So I was like, clearly, I'm <laughs> clearly I'm not a lesbian. Or maybe, I or maybe, you know, I'm not saying that you can't have a boyfriend and later discover that you're a lesbian. I actually know somebody who that happened to, which more power to them, but I knew that wasn't the case for me. And I was like, but, you know, I also don't feel particularly attracted to any one type of body because, you know, when you say like, oh, I'm attracted to girls, I'm attracted to boys, typically that means like the physique. As I got older, I realized I was more attracted to a more androgynous sort of look, which is basically like that sort of gender neutral look like you're, you may be like sitting at a Starbucks, sitting in a line. Yeah, like you sit down in a line. Maybe if the line's really long, anyways, but like pretend you're like in a Starbucks line and you're like looking at the person in front of you and you're like, 
this person is androgynous i can't tell like are they a boy or the girl are they neither are they both like what's going on what what what's going on there like i i found myself really attracted to that look and i also find myself not really subscribing to the idea that you have to be you know one gender or the other gender and that sort of bled into discovering that like okay i like this like pansexuality like that is the quote-unquote label i don't like to call it a label but i mean that's honestly what it is that i identify best with so i realized that in like sixth grade and i'm actually <laughs> the exact moment i can actually pinpoint the exact moment when a i realized like that i liked the opposite gender and that i realized that i liked you know anybody regardless of their their gender identity it was i was watching i hate to admit it but in the sixth grade i love twilight okay some people think it had a good plot i am one of those people and by plot i mean i really just like staring at jacob's abs okay i was team jake i loved i loved him i was like edward you kind of creepy though and then jake fell in love with like a baby and i was like i don't know how i feel about that and i've never watched it again since okay no that's a complete lie i've rewatched eclipse like 14 times it's it's bad so maybe i still am a twilight girl we'll we'll check back on that on that thought later but i was watching twilight and mentally in my head i was like oh my god like bella is so hot and i was like oh yeah okay so I definitely like girls and then I always felt like Alice sort of had that like lesbian vibe even though she was dating a guy and that sort of what's the word rabbit hold me down and I was like started reading Twilight fan fiction <laughs> where like the genders would change and that's sort of how I realized like oh like I don't really care so anyways that's how I sort of realized you know I looked at Bella from Twilight and was like, um, yes, 10 out of 10 would recommend. And of course I was like 12. So I wasn't like having any weird, like, you know, I wasn't having any thoughts. Maybe I was, I don't know. But I was like, I'd marry her 10 out of 10. You know, I'd probably have to fight off a vampire or two and a werewolf or 10, but it'd be worth it in the end. Anyways, I watched Twilight and I was like, ugh. This is my gay awakening. This is why I don't do podcasts by myself. I get off track. I like go down a rabbit hole and I'm doing it now and I'm going to self-correct. So even after I realized that I was pansexual, I never felt ashamed about that fact. I never felt like anything was wrong with me. I know that a lot of people, when they realize that they're gay or lesbian or pansexual or asexual or demisexual, you know, when they realize they're LGBTQ in general, they sort of have the tendency to feel not normal, you know, quote unquote, what is normal, but like not normal in the heteronormative sense of, you know, the cisgender standardized world, if you will. And they feel awkward and out of place. They feel that you know, and this isn't obviously everyone, but maybe they feel shame of some sort, whether it be, oh, well, my family isn't going to accept this and I'm ashamed of myself or I'm ashamed that I'm attracted to these people, what have you. I never really felt that. I always was very open about my sexuality. I remember I had come out to my mom and it was not the most graceful conversation. It rarely ever is when you come out. She was the first cast member that I ever had on the Comcast and she sort of shared that sentiment and, you know, but we worked through it and now she's like good. She's like, she's a honorary member of the gays and we love her and she's iconic and she's a great mom. 
But anyways, it still wasn't the smoothest of conversations the, you know, the first time it happened. And then, you know, my brother was a little bit late to the party. My brother came out like, I mean, I was in high, no, I was in high school. I was in eighth grade. So then if I came out around sixth grade, he was two years late to the party and he's two years older than me. So if you times that, he was like four years late to the party. I'm speaking directly to you, Chase. I win. I send, I send these episodes to him every time I put them out. I don't even know if he honestly listens to them, but if he does listen to this one, Chase, I'm talking to you. You were late. I was first. And if you ain't first, you're last anyways. But I never felt really ashamed about it. But just because I didn't feel ashamed didn't mean I had any idea how to deal with the fact that I was, you know, quote unquote, different from my peers. I didn't know how to deal with the fact that you know, how do I have that conversation with my mom? How do I have that conversation with my friends? And I figured it out and I stumbled through it. And I wasn't, you know, ashamed to do it, but I also didn't know what I was doing. And a part of that is I feel like something that everyone struggles with, like, okay, like, you know, the world is so heteronormative. The world is so you're a guy, you're a girl, you like one gender, you like the other gender. And it ideally should be the opposite. And that's sort of like, the box that society has shoved itself into over the course of, well, the entirety of human history. So that's obviously, it's, it's built into our institutions. It's built into the schools, into the sex education. It's built into the media. So, you know, you don't really see that representation. When I was growing up, the most representation that I can honestly remember of LGBTQ was like the sort of stereotypes you would see in the 90s films. Think, you know, like, I always like to say like Legend of Korra was definitely like, lesbian canon so maybe that but I didn't really realize that until I was like a teenager so it doesn't really count because it didn't really become like canon until I was a teenager I'm more talking about when I say growing up because I am only 18 so when I say growing up I mean sort of like until like 12 like I guess like five years old is the first memories I have to like you know like 12 I'm more talking about anything before the age of that. I didn't really see those symbols. I didn't see that representation in the media. You know, there was Ellen DeGeneres. There were certain things I would see on Saturday Night Live, but you know, it was all presented in a more comedic sense. I don't even think I knew that Ellen DeGeneres was lesbian until like years after I first heard her name. So that's kind of crazy. You know, and then like the clothes that I wore, Like I said, in elementary school, I was more of a tomboy. I liked to wear shorts. I didn't like to wear a lot of dresses. I didn't wear a lot of frilly clothes. My hair was always pulled back into this rat tail of a ponytail. Uh, It looked horrible. I don't know why. I don't know who let me walk off the house like that. Now I have my hair chopped off because I have really thick hair and it's like a mess at all times. So it was easier to just like chop, just like, like just, just get rid of it. But I used to have really long hair that used to be tied in a rat tail um, and that was deplorable, but I did that because I liked it, so I guess it's not that bad, but I, you know, that's one of the reasons I was lumped in as one of the guys, because I didn't really dress like any of the other girls, and it's just what I liked, it's just what I like to wear, and, you know, in, in middle school, I was, you know, going through my emo phase, which I'll get to in a second, oof, but, you know, I wore a lot of dark colored clothing. I wore a lot of pants. You wouldn't catch me dead in a skirt. I never wore a dress. And, you know, that was considered weird. I was bullied in middle school for different things about my appearance. And sometimes that was the butt of the joke is what I wore. Because interestingly enough, seventh and eighth grade, I was a cheerleader for the school. 
and I had been a cheerleader. I've been a cheerleader since I was like five. I'm retired now, shoulder injury, and the fact that the entire all-star cheer institution is sort of toxic, promotes eating disorders, stress, working, or I guess working out while your foot is broken, while your bag's broken, while you're literally dead and decaying in a ditch. They're like, "Mm, you've been murdered by a serial killer? Why aren't you at practice? But that's for a different podcast. Maybe a different episode. Maybe I'll do a whole episode on like being LGBTQ in sports. You know, I will. I will. It's going on the calendar. I had planned to do that, but like I never thought about including cheer in that, but I do think that's an important topic, so stay tuned for that. But the point is, there's a lot of symbols in this world, and me growing up, LGBTQ symbols were a huge part of that. They were a small part, but not a a significant enough part, not an informative enough part, not a non-stereotyped part for me to understand what I'm supposed to do with this new and huge realization about myself. And that was something that I, I struggled a lot with. I feel like that is something that a lot of LGBTQ youth and, you know, sometimes LGBTQ adults really struggle with. And I feel like, you know, people who are homophobic or transphobic or really people who are just bigots say that like, oh, well, you know, LGBTQ people are confused. That's not really the case. (laughs) LGBTQ people are not confused about the fact that they are LGBTQ. They are confused because they don't know what to do with that fact about themselves. You know, they're not, they don't, people don't end up gay because they're confused. People don't end up bisexual because they are confused. That's just who they are. What makes them confused and stressed and anxious and feel unnormal is the lack of support that society, or I guess, so I guess I should frame it as the lack of support for, you know, understanding that process, the lack of support for LGBTQ youth mental health and LGBTQ youth sex education and certain things like that. You know, I already sort of covered that. And then also there's all that normality that is sort of inherent to heterosexual and cisgendered people, LGBTQ youth are excluded from that normality. And that is what makes them anxious and upset and confused is they're like, I feel like this is who I am. And, you know, Johnny, who's cisgender and straight, feels like he's normal. We both feel like this is who we are, but yet society is telling Johnny that he's normal and average and a standard person. And I'm sort of this like, manifestation of a cultural revolution and I'm different and it's like you're just a normal person and there's not enough sort of resources and support that LGBTQ youth got at least when I was growing up and definitely now I'm not seeing it as much but I'm seeing it more so just still it's not it's not enough we need more of it to sort of combat that confusion and that anxiety And that kind of brings me to sort of my anxiety and stress and depression that I experienced in middle school after I had come out. I want to clarify that I didn't feel depressed because I was, I I had realized that I am pansexual. I don't know exactly why I was depressed. And I think that's okay. I mean, I was a happy-go-lucky kid, like from the moment I was born until like the sixth grade. And then towards the end of the sixth grade, I developed severe depression. I became a like perfectionist in everything I did. I eventually, in the eighth grade, developed a, se- a severe eating disorder known as anorexia nervosa. I'll get into sort of that in a minute. But I don't know why that happened completely. I know some parts of it through what I've explored through therapy. But I know it didn't necessarily have to do 
with the fact that I was unhappy that I was LGBTQ. I realize now that the reason I had so many negative feelings around it was because that's what society was putting onto me. That's not what I actually felt. That wasn't my real feeling about my sexuality. That was what society was telling me I should feel. And I I don't feel like that's a distinction that we as youth, we as adults, um, we as a community make enough. I feel like a lot of us, if we really go within, are okay and are completely accepting of ourselves. But we know that the external sources don't necessarily share that sentiment for whatever reason they may have. Um, No reason that is justifiable, but a reason nonetheless. And that sort of bleeds into our heads and gets to us. And I think that could have been a factor in sort of my fall from grace in the seventh and eighth grade. And, you know, the end of sixth grade, I guess, seventh and eighth grade. Let me just sort of get into what that looked like for me and how me being pansexual, me being a part of the LGBTQ community sort of intertwined with that. But I do want to pause here for a second and say that, you know, I did start this podcast episode saying that I wanted to be honest and open and sort of be real with you guys. So I want to give sort of a trigger warning for mentions of depression, mentions of eating disorders, uh, disordered eating behaviors, mentions of anxiety, and mentions of sexual uh, harassment and assault. If you feel uncomfortable with those topics, I recommend you skip the next 10 minutes, and I'll kind of do a too long didn't read right here, uh, the TLDR. It's essentially, I went through a lot of bad mental health things. Uh, It was really severe, really traumatizing, but I got through it by realizing myself and finding my purpose and after you skip the 10 minutes I'll go into what that looked like but if you are uncomfortable or you don't feel like it's responsible for the quality of your mental health to listen to the next 10 minutes right here go ahead and skip. So for all of those who stayed I hope that you are making the right decision for yourself because I did say I was going to be honest. I'm not going to be what's the word uh, show offy or I don't know what the word is but I guess show off is the best thing that can go performative, but I'm going to do my best to get through this as painlessly as possible for both parties. I hate triggering people. But in the seventh grade, I experienced major depression. I didn't really care about my work. You know, I used to be a straight A student. Now my grades were failing. I would go home every day, put my bags down, turn off the light in my room and sit there and just watch anime for hours, which sort of sounds like the ideal life. You know, like just going home and you know, watching anime and like enjoying your life and being yourself. Like if that's what you do and that makes you happy, great. That wasn't good for me. I've always been somebody who likes to be active and likes to do things and uh, not, you know, sit in a room and like watch something all day. That's not my personality. So it was definitely a change for me, but just because I didn't have the mental or physical energy due to depression to do anything else. So that's sort of what I did. I went to school. I felt like I was sort of just going through the motions in a way. I attended practice. I felt like I wasn't good enough anymore. I felt like because my grades were failing, I was failing as a, as a person. And when I say my grades are failing, that's kind of actually the remaining perfectionism still bleeding through into this conversation because my grades were C's and B's, but I was used to being an A student. So to that, to me, that was failing. 
when in reality that's literally passing your classes. But anyways, I just felt like my whole life was crumbling and I couldn't figure out why I felt that way because like I said in the sixth grade, my life was fine. Like it was all good. But you know, over time and through therapy, I realized like, oh, okay, this is why this maybe sort of happened. I was experiencing bullying for A, going through puberty. I was developing faster than the other girls and I hadn't really come to terms with that. I had gained weight because that's what happens during puberty and I was not mentally prepared for that, I don't think, um, because eating disorders are actually genetically, you can be genetically predisposed to them. So, you know, it was sort of maybe something that would have happened regardless of anything else, but um, it was something that I was struggling to deal with and I couldn't really figure out why. And then, you know, at the same time, besides, you know, people sort of approaching me, I was, you know, sexually harassed in PE um, by obviously people I won't name. And there was certain situations that just made me feel uncomfortable. People made fun of me for my acne. I had really bad cystic acne. Why? Puberty. Did it go away? Eventually, yeah. Regardless, I went through a lot of stuff with my peers that made me feel insecure. So I became depressed. I became anxious. And in the eighth grade, or I guess towards the end of seventh grade, beginning of eighth grade, I sort of did a whole 180 and I was like, I'm going to make this the most perfect year ever. I'm going to exercise more. I'm going to get in shape. I'm going to go on a diet. I'm going to fix my, <laughs> what, like what? Like I was just going to remove puberty from my biology. I don't even know, guys. I was, I had a mental illness, okay? <laughs> but I was like, I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to get rid of my acne. I'm going to get perfect grades. I'm going to be a straight A student. Again, you know, I'm going to excel at my sport. I'm going to have a great social life. And I set all these huge astronomical expectations to make up for everything that I felt like I was lacking in my life. That, a fun fact, guys, that didn't actually work. It only made everything worse because I put myself on this pedestal that I could not ever climb to. And Eventually, that sort of spiraled into an eating disorder known as anorexia nervosa, which is an eating disorder in which essentially, normally it'll start out as a diet, but it ends up being sort of very restrictive to where you're only eating, you know, clinically. An eating disorder looks different for everybody. I want to clarify that. But for me, in my experience, that meant I was only eating you know, a very limited amount of calories per day. I was exercising excessively. I was doing um, self-harm behaviors. I was doing a lot of different things that were really bad for my health. And in my mind, I'm like, this is good. Like, this is good for my health. Like, this is optimal peak energy. Um, obviously, it was not. And that went on for a really long time. And it did a lot of damage to my health. I ended up, I, I try not to say numbers, especially when talking about eating disorders, because that's a common trigger and I'm trying to be respectful of that, but I ended up being at a dangerously low weight. It did get to the point where I had to go to a residential facility, which for those of you who don't know what I mean by that, um, it's, not a, it's not necessarily a mental hospital in the sense that you would technically think of a mental hospital as. It was more like a hybrid between almost like a rehab center that you would go to if you had, you know, if you severely struggled with substances and like an eating disorder treatment facility that's also like hybrid with the hospital. But anyways, I was there for three months. I had a, you know, ups and downs. I went through a lot of therapy, took a lot of medication. I had a NG tube, which was a 
not a good experience. I went through a lot of healing, but I also went through a lot of trauma while I was there. And that made me realize two things. It made me realize that one of the major problems that I had was I never learned how to deal with what my identity was. So that's number one. The other one was sort of not related to LGBTQ, but the other one was related to past traumas that I've had, whether that be with bullying, sexual harassment, verbal and emotional abuse from somebody who will not be named, um, those sort of things. I, I just sort of shoved them down and I never dealt with them. That's not good, by the way. Um, if you're taking notes, put that like bullet point it, highlight it, underline it, bold it, like don't shove things down. Do not repress things as much as you possibly can because you can keep shoving it, but the more you shove down, eventually it's just going to overflow one day because you only have so much capacity in your mental space that it's just going to overflow and spill out all over your life and (laughs) cause a mudslide of ruin over everything. And definitely not a great way, you know, definitely not a great moment in time that would be for anybody. So 10 out of 10 do not recommend doing that. But that's what I did for a really long time. So I never learned how to deal with that. I had never learned to deal with my self-identity, which is a big part of being LGBTQ. And I never learned how to cope with the fact that I sometimes in my life, as do many people, feel out of control, you know, whether it be in their work, in their school, with themselves. And I think for me, I truly felt out of control of myself. I felt like, you know, oh, this is who I am, but, you know, this is wrong. Like, this is what my weight was. That was wrong. I don't have any control over it. I need to get control over it. This is what I looked like. I don't like how I look or I was being told that I don't look right. I need to fix it. Um, I'm having depression. I can't control my depression. I can't control my perfectionism. I need to manhandle that. And a part of an eating disorder is that sort of translates into how you, I guess, interact. I don't know. How you control your food intake, how you control your exercise, how you, you know, use certain substances, whatever, whatever. But it all came down to those three things being unable to manage my self-identity, my past traumatic experiences, and my need for control. Those three things are what I feel like spiraled me down in that moment. And through the process of recovery, I was able to realize that and sort of address it. I'm not going to address how I was able to overcome my trauma because I'm actually know that I'm not in a mental place to say that I fully overcome it. It's something that I still struggle with and I am open and willing to admit that because, you know, that takes a long time to heal from, but I don't let it control me. I don't let it dictate my life. And I think that's a really important step that I've taken and I'm giving myself a pat on the back for that. But I can talk about my self-identity and the way that I learned to deal with control. As being, you know, being an LGBTQ person, this is my, this is, you know, I don't like to say like being LGBTQ is somebody's whole personality, but it is a vital part of your identity, whether we like to admit it or not. The way we present ourselves in this world and the way we interact with others has a lot to do with our sexual orientation and our gender identification. And so coming to terms with my self-identity was also coming to terms with the fact that, 
even though I never learned how to deal with learning, you know, that about myself, that I was pansexual, even if I never was told by other people, I was learning how to authentically present myself in the world and how to do it while A, being out of the closet, B, being obviously, like I already said, authentic and real and unfiltered and unafraid of what anybody else would think about me, and three, presenting myself to the world in a way that gave people a space to do the same thing. What do I mean by that? Sort of like this, what I do in my work as an advocate is to give people a space, to give people room to be themselves and to share their story and to be unafraid of who they are and how others might perceive who they are. That's a really important step. And A, just being overall mentally healthy, but overcoming things like PTSD, anxiety, depression, eating disorders, anything, you know, that lowers your self-esteem, being able to be unafraid of who you are and being unapologetic about it is number one. It is so important to know that this is who I am. I have no, I mean, if you're like, I want to clarify that, you know, you can't say like, oh, I'm an abusive partner. This is who I am and I embrace and accept that. Like, no, being an abusive partner is something that is uh, wrong with, yes, it's something that is wrong and something that you should be correcting and fixing. But when it comes to things like sexual identity, when it comes to things like the gender you identify with, when it comes to things like what your, you know, ethnicity is or what your race is or what your religion is or any other thing that's sort of innately, I guess religion isn't innately a part of you, but I hope you're sort of, you know, get getting what I'm at. If, you know, being gay is not a personality trait is what I'm saying. You can change your personality. You cannot change who you are as a human being, as a soul, as a entity in this world. You show up like that every day and you will continue to show up like that every day, no matter what you do. P.S. That's why conversion therapy doesn't work. Anyways, um, knowing how to A, deal with that, B, being apologetic about it and being open, and three, or I guess I said A, B, and three, um, so I'm going to reverse that, A, B, and C, thank you very much, I do know my alphabet, C being you have to accept that there are going to be moments in life where being you being who you authentically are and being unapologetic about your self-identity, who you are as a human being, there's going to be points in life where other people are going to try and use it against you. There's going to be points in life where you're going to try to use it against yourself, but there's also going to be points in life where it is going to be the highlight of your day. There's going to be a moment where you realize like, oh, thank God I am this person you know, thank God I have the privilege to experience the world through my eyes and see things from a different perspective and use that to help myself and help others and better the world. I think that's such an important thing for everybody to realize. It was such an important thing for me to realize and an important tool for me to use. So when I thought like, oh my God, I'm out of control. I need to control something. It sort of helped knowing that like, you realize, Karis, that even if you control every morsel of food on this plate, or if you control every single point of this essay, which by the way, you can do neither of those things realistically, but that's what, you know, my brain would tell me. Karis, even if you do that, you're still not going to be able to control and micromanage your self-identity. It is innate. You cannot micromanage your sexuality and you cannot micromanage you know, gender identity, you cannot 
change those things about you. You cannot change what happened to you in the past. Those are static moments. Those are done. You can't control that anymore. These are the things that I had to learn and tell myself. And being able to understand that was eye-opening and relieving and helped me heal. And I hope that something that I said in that huge ramble can also help you and can hopefully motivate you and give you some insight into your own mind and your own management of or inability to manage, I guess, your self-identity. And it was only after I went through that process and after I learned all of that and after I was able to sort of heal was that I could really see who I was and be okay with it. And after I saw who I was, I saw what I really wanted with my life. And what I wanted was to help other people realize what I had realized. That was to be an advocate. So I got involved in my community. I got involved with the Spark Initiative. Shout out to you guys. Actually, my comm is doing a LGBTQ suicide prevention webinar on May 11th at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time to 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time with Nicole Wilson, who is the program coordinator at the Spark Initiative. So stay tuned for that. Definitely register. I'll put the link in the show notes. But I did an internship with them, and that's sort of what kicked off my advocacy work. I founded Calm, this podcast, the blog. I got involved with Humanity Rising. I did a lot of volunteer work with Feeding Tampa or Feeding America is like the national version of that. I worked at a call center or yeah, I worked at a call center for like three days because I found that that is not the job for me. But I did do, you know, some fundraising. I founded my own nonprofit. I really sort of dived headfirst into this. And not only was it this realization and this recovery portion of my life that allowed me to get into advocacy work, advocacy work returned to the favor. So when things got hard or when I felt like, you know, I was going through a hard moment in my life and that need to control and micromanage myself, the fact that I was able to overcome that in the past is what got me into advocacy work. And now advocacy work is what's keeping me and helping me realize every single day how true that statement is, if that makes sense. I guess, you know, party A is what got me into party B, and now party B is helping, you know, me to remember the importance of party A, I guess you could say. And just overall, doing advocacy work has improved my mental health. It's given me a purpose. It's given me, you know, a daily reminder of why I'm doing what I'm doing, why I am still fighting and still, I guess, waking up every day and choosing to refuse to let fear and depression overtake me. It helps me prevent relapse. It helps me see a brighter future. Even when I read things like a depressing headline or I have an upsetting conversation or I'm just having a bad day, you know, doing advocacy work is what pulls me out of that. And it's like, this is something that I can control. I can control, you know, I can't control the future. I do want to say that, but I can control what's being put out into the world. I can be a part of this movement that is helping others. And it is a great outlet to sort of direct any, and I'm not saying that I throw myself into work to ignore my feelings. I'm saying I use those feelings to be like, you see, this is why you feel this way. Let's talk about it. That's one of the reasons I decided to shoot this episode today. Like you're feeling like this, let's talk about it. Let's remind yourself why you're doing this work. Let's remind yourself what you want to see in the future. Let's remind yourself how you got here and why you're still here in this moment, sitting down and recording this episode. And, you know, it's been a great 
realization and a journey for me. I mean, I don't, it's been a rocky journey, but it's been a journey. And, you know, for the listeners and for you guys, I would say that, you know, even if it's not advocacy work, find your outlet, find your place and your purpose and your passion and let it give you a space to give up fear. Let it be a space for you to feel comfortable and make you feel like you're making a difference. There's really nothing more important is to find something that you love doing that gives you all of those things that you can do consistently because that is ultimately what will help you along with other things obviously like therapy medication coping mechanisms you know it's there's no one thing that is gonna you know sustain your mental health but it's definitely a a great thing to have so I would encourage you to seek that out you know as long as it's healthy and as long as you do it in a way that's responsible seek it out and get to work and do it and throw yourself into it and if you ever feel stuck if you feel like well, I don't know what I want to do or I want to do this, but I can't like that door is closed for me or some person or some obstacle that does make it impossible or not viable for me to go that route. If that's how you feel, I like to say make a new door, make your own way, make your own path. Stop Googling how did blah become a millionaire? How did blah get into advocacy work? Find your own way. Make your own door and go through it. Don't worry about what other path, what other door other people went through. It doesn't matter. What matters is what you do to get there. And with that, that's sort of my story. That's sort of my journey. And I hope that was helpful. I hope that, you know, was of some value to you. If you want to keep up with us, you can follow us on Instagram at the.com.blog all lowercase. I hate the handle and I will say it every single time that I do not like the handle, but I can't change it because everything else was. If you've been listening, you know that that blank should have been filled with taken. So (laughs) you can also follow us on Twitter at the all lowercase com all uppercase blog all lowercase. You can also go to our website at www.thecomblog.com if you want to join us and have your story told. Add on to that URL slash join and join us. Be a community advocate for LGBTQ mental health. And if you've listened to my entire story, if you've made it all the way here, first of all, congratulations. You're a real champ. You're a real icon and you are a legend. You can get service learning hours for listening to this episode and all other episodes of the Comcast. To learn more about that, go to the show notes to learn about our partnership with Humanity Rising. And with that, that's all I have. Bye, guys.